It's been six months of back and forth, baby. Oh. Thank you, Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, because they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin that's cock spelt with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Hey, I'm the guy who makes 7-Up. I also write the advertising. I just came up with a great new slogan. Make 7-Up yours. Make 7-Up yours. Thank you, I appreciate it. Make 7-Up yours, baby. <laughs> ah, people just love it. Make 7-Up yours! Hey, my man, make 7-Up yours! Thanks so much again for tuning in and a big thanks to Brett Wood. And I had a nice review on the Apple podcast app from someone in Canada, Bazankaba. Thanks, Baz. I still have some stickers and pics. So if anyone's keen, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast, and I'll post them out to you no matter where you are in the world. Do it. Way back in episode five's Colors of the Mexican Flag, we heard the Arctic Monkeys song, Red Light Indicates Doors Are Secured a nine-syllabled song title. Our body parts song champion was the eight-syllabled Lover You Should Have Come Over by Jeff Buckley. Episode three had another eight-syllabled song, You Never Give Me Your Money by The Beatles. And we've had a bunch more across the life of the podcast, including a heap in episode 20's brackets. So for this episode, I'm gonna do a deep dig on songs that have seven plus syllables in the title. 
and I'm not going to accept bracketed titles because I'm still a bit bracket knackered from episode 20. Episode 26, 7 Up. Before we start, the longest song title I could find online was from a song and artist that I'd never heard of before. The artist is Christine Lavin, and the song is from 1984, and the title has 97 words and 121 syllables, and it's called... Regretting what I said to you when you called me 11 o'clock on a Friday morning to tell me that at 1 o'clock Friday afternoon you're going to leave your office, go downstairs, hail a cab to go out to the airport to catch a plane to go skiing in the Alps for two weeks. Not that I wanted to go with you. I wasn't able to leave town. I'm not a very good skier. I couldn't expect you to pay my way, but after going out with you for three years, I don't like surprises. And it's subtitled, A Musical Apology. I didn't... Jesus, Christine, just let the man go skiing, for fuck's sake. Don't worry, most of our nuggets are way less whiny and between 7 and 20 syllables. And I was joking when I said, I hope you crack your head and get mangled by the downstairs revolving doors. So I'm going to start proceedings with an ACDC song. ACDC have quite a few 7 plus syllable nuggets, such as the 8 syllable rock and roll ain't noise pollution, the 9 syllable what do you do for money honey, and the seven-syllabled Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. Here's early ACDC bass player Mark Evans talking to my mate Dean Del Rey about the Jailbreak film clip and also the song I'm going to go with. Jailbreak video shoot. Let's talk a little bit about that. It's a fun video and it was uh, a really, really yeah. early video. What what was that like? Well, see, that, that, that's that's what I was saying before, that there was a, there was a real sense of humour about that band, you know, and... Like for God's sake, well, we're dressed up as policemen. Uh, I think Phil and Phil and Bonner dressed up um, as like prisoners, I, I think. And then Angus has got they, 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 that that outfit he's got on. They're, they're actually they, they were they were made at the time, but they were pajamas. He's got on, and it's got the arrows on it, like like the prisoner. And and, and that that was all doing of uh, I mentioned before the the uh, TV show called Countdown. The guy running it, Ian Meldrum, his name known as Molly Meldrum, uh, he was the guy behind all that. He was also the guy behind uh, the long way to the top film clip, the one on the back of the truck. Yeah. All those th- th- those two clips were filmed exclusively for Countdown. Oh, wow. That, which is oh, it's on ABC TV, which, which, which is um, uh, ABC TV in Australia. It was... Uh, it's a government-run TV station, and so it was national TV. So that's a, a lot to do with the band making a lot of ground here in Australia. The show was on at six thirty um, Sunday night. Um, it was in competition on uh, against Disneyland on another channel, but, but people used to sit down and watch Countdown, and now it was repeated the following Saturday. So if you were on, we were on Countdown like every second week, which basically meant we we're on every week because you're on Saturday and Sunday. But that was that, that uh, jailbreak clip and uh, long way talk were very much Ian Meldrum's doing, and uh, we had the government supporting us. There you go, and uh, they, they were just got great clips. So obviously the song is the 14 syllable. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. As I'm refusing to recognise brackets, I just go with the first seven syllables. It's a long way to the top. Riding on the highway, going to a show, stopping on the byways, playing rock and roll. 
here's Mark Evans again talking about how those bagpipes made it into the track. Yeah, well, it's a great idea. That's it. And, and, and we recorded that, that song a uh, long way to the top. And that was um, pretty much, you know, how we would record. We, we, Malcolm was got this groove going and, and George said, oh, listen, you know, wait a minute, you know, got the tape going. And it would basically come out of a, you know, like a jam that we did. And um, George, you know, overnight sort of worked on it and did a fair bit of editing because George is, you know, like amazing, you'd be in front of the, the tape machine, cutting bits out, and like a tailor around here and putting that back in there, and uh, he, he basically you know, did a did a job on that and, and put it together. Because you'll you'll note um, even with the guitar from the guitar intro to how the guitar is at the end, it's very 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 different. It, it flows, it works well, and it works well because of George. He's just you know that's where it's. So anyway, um, George suggested the need for something in the middle. He suggested bagpipes, and Bond said, "Great, yeah, I used to play in a pipe band. Oh, did that, fantastic." So Bond said, "I'll be back." So we went down to a music shop down the road in Park Street. You know, bagpipes are us. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> and, uh, I uh, put this set of hardy pipes. It was, I even remember they were $479, which was like back in those days, you know. Um, yeah, it got a, a normal Joe Schmo was probably picking up 100 bucks a week. Mm. So, and a Fender Stratton against them, those balls were like 300 Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah well, it was probably, you would have got two strats. Yeah. For, for the, so, yeah, so he's got this, this box. I've got the pipes. Okay. Now, if you want a good laugh, man, you get three Scott together around trying to put a set of bagpipes together. <laughs> oh, man, it's like a Scottish Scottish Rubik's cube, <laughs> and they're swearing and oh man, that's, and they say George said that to Bond said, listen, yeah, yeah, you should play in the pipe band, you know, yeah, yeah. You what's going? He said, yeah, well, yeah, play the pipe band. I was a drummer. <laughs> so that was it. Oh, man. So we, we ended up getting the pipes together. We ended up getting it to, we recorded, we got the, got the, the drones. We ended up blowing those individually in a tape loop. And then one got the chanter because he used to play flute or, or recorder and stuff. Oh, and yes, it, I remember him in the fraternity. fraternity. Yeah, you play, play the recorder. So he, he, he got, got the notes out and... Um, we made a tape loop, and then at the start of it, there's a, you know, we hold on to the tape, let it go, so it's just... You know. So it's, it's all George, it's, it's George's stuff, you know. It came a bit of a hassle when we were working live, because we'd have to tune up to the, the drone. So they'd, they'd, they'd pull out for our Ralph, the front of the house guy, if we had the cassette player, we'd backstage, tune up to the drone, out the front, put the drone, okay, hit the drone now for this, and bond it out the channel, oh man. So in essence, it, it sort of it cruelled us from playing the song much live. And, you know, from my memory, I, I would say um, we probably played this song live maybe 30 times most. And the band's never played it since then. So it's such a, it's, it's, it's such a, an odd thing. It's, it's, it's converse because it's such an iconic ACDC song. Like, if you say to people, particularly in Australia, name an ACDC song, it's also a long way to the top. Yeah. But the band probably only, you know, I may be out a few times, but I would say 30 times would be the maximum we played it on stage. And the band's, I'm sure the band's never played it since. So You don't see it in the live DVD? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. think so. So, um, yeah, so it's probably the most famous song of the band's 
In fact, I've heard a couple of bootlegs of it. Uh, and we're playing it. It's almost like a Chuck Berry thing. It's really fast and it's quite different than the recording. You know? But, mm. uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's strange. It's never really sort of been in the live set much at all. Mm. But, but then you, it's there, you know? It's very Bond, isn't it? Yeah. I found one of the bootlegs Mark Evans was possibly talking about, and this one was from 1976 at St. Albans High School in Melbourne. The audio is not great, and if it annoys you, send me an email at I think it's fucking amazing that we have this audio from nearly 50 years ago at a rock and roll rabbit hole.com forward slash entitled cock goblin, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. It sounds like the band break down to kick drum for a bit just while Bond fires up the old bagpipes, and you can check it out here. I've included most of the songs from the Darkness's great debut album, Permission to Land, but not the big one. Here's the Hawkins brothers talking about this eight-syllabled nugget. I love it when you hear a song and you're not expecting it, and you just hear a song and it like knocks you out. It's like, mm. what is this? It's almost like, the, again, the first time you've ever heard rock and roll again. I mean, it sounds familiar, but it, it mm. also is different. Well, you're onto a winner when, you've, uh, when you're doing something that sounds familiar, but you can't actually pin it down. I mean, that's, that's kind of um, what you aim for, isn't it, really? I mean, for me, when we wrote that song, we kind of had a lot of the album written already, and we were gigging it. And the rest of the album, uh, it's probably safe to say, is kind of just more hard rock, really. And we were definitely live, and we are kind of just a, a hard mm -hmm. rock band, really. Um, and that song was kind of the odd one out. For me, personally, I was like, oh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try it out live, but I'm not sure it's going to fit in with the other stuff. Obviously, it went down like a, like a storm. When I heard Touching You, Touching Me, it kind of reminded me almost like a little bit of It reminded you of your time in uh, Borstal. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like a little bit of a tip of the hat to, to Sweet Caroline a little bit, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. I was a massive, well, I have always been a massive fan of uh, Neil Diamond. Yeah, I was half expecting to get sued for that, really. But, yeah. 
We, um, uh, what, what I mean, the thing is, it's touch, touching, isn't it? It's like, yeah. What happens um, with us quite often is um, we'll be working on something, like toiling around with like either a riff or a concept or something, and then it's not working out, and then out of frustration, you go completely the other way. So I can uh, probably imagine I had some serious kind of like thing going on, and we just weren't feeling it that day. Maybe the sun was shining, and then I think it was like, oh, f this. Let's yeah. just write something really up and and stupidly 80s and and get this out of our system sort of thing. And, <laughs> and um, I think Justin came up with the riff, the chorus riff, and yeah. and then the line, the chorus line straight away. And then so I was presented with the task of working it back from that ridiculously yeah. catchy chorus into something that um, had like some sort of. Um, you know, there's a lot of minor well, chords. There's, a lot of minor, think, there's think, a lot of minor chords in it, and a lot of kind of um, yeah. serious sort of like changes and things. It's, it's quite minory. The touching, um, the touching you, touching me part. It's different in in the UK. We have a different different names for the for the sort of uh, compositional elements of a song. Uh, over here, you call it. Uh, you go verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and then the middle eight you call, or the middle section bridge. you call it a bridge. Yeah. yeah. But we always call the pre-chorus bridge. And I think that actually informs our writing as well. Mm -hmm. Because for us, the whole point of a pre-chorus is not to say, listen up kids, here comes the thing. Yeah. It's actually more, it's more of a sort of um, a worthy element of a song in its own right. And the best songs that we've ever done seem to have two choruses. Like it's got the pre-chorus or the bridge as we would right. call it. And the... You know it's I mean? true. And the real there is. There, there's also that song's definitely got that. It's got but it's the the one that um, goes touch me, touch me is is a very it's quite reflective, somber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then comes the eighties party and Yeah. <laughs> but I, I actually remember how this, this went down. It was kinda of like I did kind of come up with like the, the cheesy intro riff and, you know, the cheesy lyrics and all that sort of stuff. And it was kinda of like, Oh, how do we how can we get away with that? And the answer is with an with an inspired bridge. The only way, only way those two, the chorus and the verse, can exist together in something that isn't sort of dismissed as a as a thing, you know, something yeah. parody or whatever you might want to call it. And that's actually Dan's strong point, I think, is when he comes, he finds things that um, takes the spikes, rubs the spikes off uh, the, lukewarm the, the, lukewarm the, water. the porcupine <laughs> of uh, the porcupine of silliness uh, becomes a much more coiffured rodent.
Next up, we have another Aussie rocker, Melbourne legend's Electric Mary with the eight-syllabled No One Does It Better Than Me. Next up we have a weird one because the version I'm going to play is six syllabled but the original which I've just found out is a cover from the late 60s is titled I've Got My Mind Set On You, seven syllables, but the George Harrison version is Got My Mind Set On You, six syllables, that's all good. Here's the original from James Ray. George talking about Jeff Lynn from ELO's contributions and also some other musicians on the album that had got my mind set on you, which was Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine was sort of a comeback album in 1987 after George had taken about five years off and it was also the last studio record released by George while he was still alive. Now after some years you've uh, gone back into music and you've gone into the studio with uh, some of the guys that you've worked with uh, quite a lot of, of yeah. times over the years. That's yeah. right, yeah. Is it kind of your um, definite group that you've... Uh... Well, these are the people I know, really. It's not because I want to have famous people on my record, although that in itself um, is quite good. It doesn't do any harm, but it just happens that you know, Ringo is my friend and he's a drummer. And Eric's my friend, he plays the guitar, you know, it's just like that, really. Jeff Lynn, I got to know him, and Elton was asking me, you know, if he could play on the record. Mm -hmm. He was asking for a year, so it just works out that way that, you know, a lot of the people on the record are famous people, and I only use them, though, if it's right that they should play the right part. Did you work sort of as a band in the studio? Well, we did uh, the drum tracks with Ringo and Jim Keltner and Jeff Lynn and myself, basically. And Gary Wright was there for some of the early takes. But mainly what we did was uh, get the drum tracks down. I just played guitar and Jeff played bass. And then once we had all the drum tracks, I made 17 songs. And once we had the drum tracks, then we got rid of the drummers. And then Jeff and I just worked on them, put all the guitars, keyboards and... Uh, you know, then Elton came in and played some piano. And Eric came, played guitar. They just came one day, played on three songs each. Mm. 
and we had another day where we we had the saxophone player and one day with the cello but everything else is really just Jeff Lynn and myself all the guitars all the backing voices the keyboards Another Aussie tune, and this one is from former Men at Work frontman Colin Hay, who I think is such an underrated singer and songwriter. And he's actually funnier than a lot of comedians. And here's Colin talking about a 10-syllable gem. I just don't think I'll ever get over you. I don't think I'll ever get over you. Which is a song that was on the Garden State soundtrack, as I mentioned earlier. And I went platinum. That's a lot of people, a million people have sort of and bought the, the soundtrack to Garden State with this song on it. And uh, it was also on an album of mine in 1997 called Transcendental Highway, which is not called Platinum. <laughs> <laughs> it went mahogany. <laughs> I was happy that it was on the soundtrack to Garden State because you get um, money in the mail. <laughs> That's fucking great, isn't it? Getting checks in the mail. The only thing better than that is when you go to the doctors and you have one of those colonoscopy things. And when you've had it, he says, your bum's okay. That's a fucking good day there. You know, because you get to a certain age, you know, you get into all those things checked out. If you're a woman or a man, you know, in men's case, you have to get your prostate checked. Make sure you do that. It's not normal either, is it, for when you get the, 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 the prostate exam for the doctor to have both hands on your shoulder, is it? Fair enough. 
But don't get excited if you happen to have a song that's on a CD that sells a million copies. Don't fucking go to the Bahamas straight away. <laughs> Just telling you now, I'm giving you fair warning. <laughs> However, if you're thinking, for example, of renovating your kitchen, <laughs> tune from the band that sparked the idea for this episode, which is the Arctic Monkeys. Their 12-syllable debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not, actually has seven songs that qualify for the seven-plus syllables in their titles. But I have gone with the ridiculously long 
18 syllables. You probably couldn't see me for the lights, but you were staring straight at me. With the great line, it's so tense, never tenser. Could all go a bit Frank Spencer. Google Frank Spencer if you don't know who he is. personal story attached loosely to this next 10-syllable Aussie song. The song was written by Australian Crawl frontman James Rain and one-time Little River Band guitarist David Briggs. David Briggs is a super twitchy, nervous character and he accidentally spat on my face and in my mouth once when mastering a record for me years ago. Thanks, David. This song is the last track from Australian Crawl's debut album from 1980, which is called The Boys Light Up, which made it to number four on the Aussie charts, but stayed in the charts for an unbroken 101 weeks. Hoochie Gucci Fiorucci Mama by Australian Crawl. Every day I see you wearing things that have never been worn before. While the children have the government schools and money for the poor. We heard a George Harrison song earlier and now it's Beatles time. During the Beatles' career, they had five songs banned by the BBC, including the song I'm going to add for this episode. The other songs were Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds for its false LSD reference, A Day in the Life for this line. The BBC Director of Sound Broadcasting, Frank Gillard, said... We have listened to it over and over again with great care, and we cannot avoid coming to the conclusion that the words, I'd love to turn you on, followed by that mounting montage of sound, could have a rather sinister meaning. The recording may have been made in good faith, 
but we must take account the interpretation that many young people would inevitably put upon it. Turned on is a phrase that can be used in many different circumstances, but it is currently much in vogue in the jargon of the drug addicts. But they didn't mention this line, which to me is clearly a drug reference. On the way upstairs and had a smoke, and somebody spoke and I went into a dream. I Am The Walrus was also banned for its mention of knickers and pornography. And later on, back in the USSR, was banned during the Gulf War. This song was banned for John Lennon singing the line, Of course, Henry the Horse. And of course, Henry the Horse answers the horse. Both the words Henry and horse were street slang for heroin, but John Lennon denied that that was his intention. Most of the lyrics in this song were taken directly from a poster from an antique shop that John Lennon bought in Kent on January 31st, 1967. The poster was advertising Pablo Frank's Royal Circus at Rochdale near Manchester, taking place on Tuesday, February 14th, 1843. And in 2014, Paul McCartney said it was his favourite Beatles bassline to play. Check out the Golden Magic tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and you can have a look at the poster with a lot of the lyrics printed on it. The 11th syllable, Being for the Benefit of Mr Kite by the Beatles. For the benefit of Mr Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampoline. The Hendersons will all be there, late of Pablo Frank is there, what a scene. Over men and horses, hoops and garters, lastly through a hogshead of real fire. In this way, Mr. K will challenge the world. The celebrated Mr. K performs his feet on Saturday at Bishop's Gate. The Hendersons will dance and sing as Mr. Kite flies through the ring. Don't be late. Mrs. K and H assure the public their production will be second to none. And of course, Henry the Horse dances the waltz. This is Queen's Roger Taylor and Brian May talking about Freddie's last film clip, filmed about six months before his death for the beautiful seven-syllable titled These Are the Days of Our Lives. The sicker Freddie got, the more he seemed to need to record to give himself something to do, you know, some sort of reason to get up. And he would make it in whenever he could. So it really, it was a quite a period of fairly intense work, actually. You know, Freddie's becoming weakened by this horrible disease and he finds it hard to stand up a lot of the time. But he'll throw a couple of vodkas down and he would prop himself up on the mixing desk and have his mic there and go for it. I can hear the voices getting thinner. I think you can really tell that it's an ailing voice. Although he hits the notes. Roger started off writing These Are The Days Of Our Lives about his kids and the way he felt about life and how it comes back. Um, but of course, in that context, it had another meaning. He looked so ill, it was quite scary. And um, 
I thought that was a very brave thing to do, and why not, you know? He spent hours and hours and hours in makeup, sorting himself out, thought it would be okay. Freddie actually kind of says a goodbye in that song. parties Queen had with bowls of cocaine delivered on the heads of people who are much shorter than me, whatever you're allowed to call them these days. But here's Spike Edney, Queen's backup keyboard player, talking about some of the more docile activities that the band did in hotel rooms in the 80s. And there were two definite sides to him. There was his private, quiet, offstage um, person, and there was the diva. Yeah. And he could turn it on in a second right. when he needed to. Um, but we really kind of bonded best... Because he was so famous by that time, after Live Aid, uh, their career went whoosh back mm. up. I mean, they always were big, but it kind of plateaued a bit. But Live Aid sent it through the roof, mm -hmm. and he couldn't go out in public mm -hmm. when we were on tour. Um, we used to go up to Club Red. I mean, um, his suite became the hangout because he couldn't go out, so we came to him, and we would, you know, you wouldn't have a backstage party very much. We would just pile back to the hotel and fred always had the presidential suite and mm -hmm. um, so he would invite everybody up and there's always like you know everything's there and, and the, his favorite thing to do was board games he loved scrabble and he at the time the big game was trivial pursuit oh yes yeah he loved that too and we that tour the um, 86 tour became non-stop trivial pursuit mm -hmm. mania and he said, come on, everybody, get to my room. We've we got to finish it. We didn't get finished last night. We've got to do it. And we said, oh, fuck's sake, okay. There was um, one occasion when, uh, towards the end of a Japanese tour, when everybody was there, management, 
uh, all the band assistants, uh, the security mm-hmm. and uh, Caliph and uh, and we divided up the band versus management versus mm-hmm. crew and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that was hysterical. Lots of mm-hmm. um, you would get people getting very irate and jumping up and down. That's what I said. No, you didn't say that. That wasn't your answer. And yeah. uh, hysterical. Lots yeah. of fun. And that would have been a time to have a camera and a fly on the wall uh, documentary just to, just to see the normality of it. Yeah. Um, because playing Trivial Pursuit with my mates back in South London is just the same as playing with a bunch of megastars in the, in the biggest hotel in Tokyo, you know. Next up, we have an upbeat and joyous 10-syllable nugget, which actually has some pretty sad lyrics in it. I saw Phil Collins in Sydney in January 2019, and he was still great. He had songs for days. Here's the co-writer and guitarist, Daryl Strumer, explaining the song. And the title is Something Happened on the Way to Heaven, but a lot of people don't know this song by that title because he only says that line once in the whole song. And he sings other lines like, you can run, you can hide, but you don't want to call the song, you can run, you can hide, because it's so typical. So he, he decided to use a, a title that no one's going to remember. <laughs> but it's much more creative. It's a much more creative. <laughs> but the thing was, it was a number one hit for like three weeks, and it got uh, one of the most performed songs of 1989 and of 1990. So I have a plaque in my house with that. It says, thank you, Phil, for buying my house. Because <laughs> it is amazing uh, when a song is a hit song, it, it makes quite a bit of money. And even as a 50% co-writer, you know, it's a nice... And I, then I think about all the songs he wrote on every record, you know. It's unbelievable. So anyway, uh, that's what this song is. Okay, we'll try one more time. up we have some choir love with an eight syllable song from 1969 which was ranked number 100 in the rolling stones greatest songs of all time a song that charlie watts didn't play on as producer jimmy miller played the drums and the song was penned as a counterpart song to hey jude by the beatles the choir using french horn blowing eight syllable nugget you can't always get what you want the rolling stones 
at the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection At her feet was a footloose man You can't always get what you want What you want You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes Well you might find The lyrics in this next UK nugget are so good. It was this guy's debut single in 1978. The inspiration for the chorus and title was taken from the first spoken line from The Damned in their track New Rose from 1976. Is she really going out with him? New Rose is a song that was the first UK punk single released a month or so before the Sex Pistols released the seven-syllable titled Anarchy in the UK. is a play on words for the British music magazine New Musical Express, NME. John Lydon was only about 19 or 20 when he wrote all these lyrics. Can't remember what I was doing at 19. Here's Sex Pistols guitarist Steve Jones talking to Woody Woodmansey, who was David Bowie's drummer in The Spiders from Mars. And also Tony Visconti, who was Bowie's record producer in later years, about some missing band gear. This was recorded on Jonesy's Jukebox, Steve Jones's radio show in 2016. Tony Visconti, Woody Woodmansey are in the studio right now. Woody. Yeah. Um, do you remember Hammersmithodium? I do. <laughs> yes, infamously. You sure you heard about what I used to get up to? Oh no, what? After the first show, I went in there and stole a bunch of your gear. You didn't? I did. Did you? What did you steal? Well, I'm, I'm making an amends to you right now. Oh yeah, good. Is that what the water is? 
No. Oh, okay. And I think I think I took a couple of your mics. What I did was <laughs> no, not mics, cymbals. Did Sorry. you really? Did, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know. So that. someone must have. Were they your drums? Yeah. How much? I, I need to make amends to you. How much was a couple of cymbals? Um, Hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of that one. Now that's amends. <laughs> a couple of the top ones. Really? I, I, I nicked them, and I got I got the bass player's son Am. I believe it was a son. Yeah, it Am. was. It was a son. Yeah. But who, who really who really <laughs> who really took the brunt of it was whoever was recording it. All them Neumann mics. Who was yeah. recording it? Was um, BBC or something? Yeah, the BBC were there, and probably Robin Mayhew as well. Our sound man was running it through the desk. How but did you manage to do that? Because I knew that place like the back of my hand. I, oh. I was from Hammersmith, yeah, and I was like the uh, Phantom of the Opera in that place. Oh wow! <laughs> and uh, they did two nights. Don't get me wrong, I was a massive Bowie Spiders fan. Yeah. And if I really liked you, I'd nick some gear off you. Oh, that's a compliment, then. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> and, and It's a British thing, right? I, for, well, for me, it was. If I like you, I steal from you. I like um, that, I like that. After, after, after the first uh, night, I, so I came back there. I saw the show. I came back about two in the morning. They had some bloke in the third row. Like All the gear was still set up. I didn't know what anything was, mics or anything. I didn't know anything. Yeah. All I just knew is that I got to have some of this stuff because <coughs> I was a massive fan. Yeah. And I snuck in there. I knew a way to get in there. I had a minivan that I nicked. I pulled it up around the side. I got in there. I waited for this bloke to fall a kit in like the third row. He was catching flies. So then I sneaked sneaks on. That's when I got a couple of symbols. The sun amp. The mic got Bowie's mic with his lipstick on. This li little electro voice. Yeah. I can't believe you don't know about. No, it. I didn't know. Yeah, but, uh, I know was, you know some gear went missing through the tours and whatever, but I never knew quite yeah. where and what went missing. Yeah. So how much? Amazing. What can I do to make it right? How much is a couple of cymbals? <laughs> I'm serious. Back then, probably I don't know. How much do you want for a couple of cymbals right now? Oh, ten dollars. No, for real. For real. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. Hundred dollars for the two. Yeah. I'll give you hundred bucks each. That's cool. I love that. Is that good? Yeah. Apologies. I got a little bit sidetracked there. Let's go back to the song that was influenced by the spoken word intro of the damn song by Joe Jackson. The nine syllable. Is she really going out with him?
Way back in episode two, we heard the Ramones seven-syllabled Sheena is a punk rocker, and they have a few classics weighing in at seven-plus syllables. Here's Joey Ramone talking about meeting the before-mentioned Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols just said uh, they wanted to fight you guys. Isn't that right? Because there was a perceived rivalry, but the Sex Pistols actually wanted to fight you, and you didn't... Well, when we first met them, it was um, our first tour over there. And, um, yeah, they, they wanted to come on, like, you know, they were going to, you know, they wanted to, you know, that's how they were, they, you know. Wanted, right. Like, they wanted to start something. So, the, the first time, um, in 77, we came back, we did a tour, and Johnny Rotten wanted to come backstage. So, um, so for a, a little prank that we pulled on, on Johnny was um, that we all kind of pissed in the beer. <laughs> and Johnny, what like... What you kind of pissed in the beer? <laughs> we did. We, <laughs> Okay. We, we uh, urinated. There and you go. Yeah. Pissed in the beer. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then Johnny jo- Johnny Ramone gave Johnny Rotten the beer. Uh huh. It's like our little <laughs> our way of saying hello. Yeah. You? Well, that's gre- our greeting, yeah. you know. Well, that British beer is pretty bad. He probably yeah, didn't, he probably didn't know the difference. Uh, you've written a million. <laughs> you guys have all these. I was looking at the anthology and so many of your songs. It occurs to me when you see them all stacked up one after the other are about the brain. Gimme, gimme shock treatment. (laughs) Teenage lobotomy, I want to be sedated, psychotherapy, my brain is hanging upside down, brain drain. Why this fascination with the brain? We're we're screaming out for help. (laughs) Here's Joey Ramone again talking about their seven-syllable classic, I want to be sedated. Can can I just talk a, a a bit about it for a second, all right? Sure. All right, it's about it's a road song, right? I wrote it in 1977 and uh, through 78, and um, that was the circa in 77. It took that lo- took that long to write this song. Well, I I you know I'm I'm a perfectionist, and it's gonna be great. You know what I mean? And uh, and um, so well, Danny Fields was our first manager, and uh, he would work us to death. We'd be on the road 360 days a year, and. Um, when we got really, when we hit in England, because then we went over in England in 76, um, July 4th, and, um, you know, it was just um, 20, 20, 24 hours to go, I want to be sedated, which is like, it was rough. It was great, but it was rough, you know. And then there's, there's a line, and it goes, um, um, nothing to do, nowhere to go, ho, I want to be sedated, right? Well, where that stems from was when we were in Eng- we were really big in England back in '76, right? And um, we were there at Christmas time, right? And Christmas time, London shuts down. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. I mean, we're in London for the first time in our lives, and you know, I mean, being big fans of like the, Mer- the Beatles, all that stuff, the Stones, you know, being in England for the first time, and me and Didi, we were sharing a room in the hotel, and we were we were watching the Guns of Navarone. So we had nothing to do. There was nothing. I mean, here we are in London finally, and this is what we're doing, you know, watching American movies in the hotel, you know? All right, I'll sing it for you now.
Just some cool Ramones trivia, they played 2,263 gigs and took their band name and all of their fake last names from the name Paul McCartney would use to check into hotels, which is Paul Ramon, R-A-M-O-N. Check out episode eight and nine's name changes for all of their real names, or you can just fucking Google it. And I don't know if you remember, but on and around New Year's Eve 2019, people were posting the words 2020, 24 hours to go. 24 hours to go until 2020. And that was a tip of the hat to the first line in the verses of I Want to Be Sedated. I Want to Be Sedated by the Ramones came in at number 145 on the Rolling Stones' greatest songs of all time list. And with most great songs, there's great piles of fuckery. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs Yep, now, so do I. Alright, let's move on. Have a listen to Billy Joel talking about a song I've always loved for the story and imagery, despite hating fishing. Sorry, Nick Priest, you dirty fish molester. There's a fishing community out on the east end of Long Island. They, they always refer to the east end where I live as the Hamptons. Like, you know, like, you know, like the Hamptons, all these Hollywood people who go out to the Hamptons. Well, I live there year round, and I don't go to Hamptons parties, and I don't do the Hamptons thing. I just live there all the time. So I know the guys who live there. So I, I know the fishing community, and they're trying to shut these guys down because they're not like, you know, politically, environmentally, like, correct. They actually try to make a living by catching fish. Excuse me. You know, which has been going on for 300 years. These families have caught fish the same way. I wanted to write a song about these, these people who are... They really defined this area before they were the Hamptons. Well, I'm on the down Easter Alexa, and I'm cruising through Black Island Sound. I have charted a course to the vineyard, but tonight I am man pocket bound. It's a gun. Yesterday, left the small. 
Next up, we have a beautiful seven-syllable title tune from the great Cat Stevens, but it was never released as a single by him. It was written in 1967 and has been a hit with six different artists. P.P. Arnold in 1967, Keith Hampshire in 1973, Dawn Penn in 1994, Papa D in 1995, and Cheryl Crow in 2003. But I'm going to go with the Rod Stewart version, which went to number one in the UK in 1977. The first cut is the deepest. I would have given you all of my heart But there's someone who's torn it apart And she's taken just all that I had But if you want, I'll try to love again So we, we often start with a piece of music. In, in the case of this song, Stuck in a Moment, it was a piece of music I was working on on piano, but um, I, I really like how it sounds on guitar, so I was playing it to Bono. And it, it was a, a sort of song with a gospel quality, and, but we wanted to write a kind of a, an, a, a love song, but not, not a sort of straight love song. And Bono got inspired lyrically. Yeah, there was also, Larry and Adam heard it, and Larry thought it sounded sissy. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, so I don't know what that means. It's, 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 it's Irish for in, too in touch with your feminine self. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and, and so we, actually he was kind of right, because there's a very high chorus, and we wanted it a bit more biting. And uh, we had, uh, we, we still miss, but we were really missing at the time, a very, very good friend of ours, uh, a, a guy called Michael Hutchins, who sang for In Excess. And a uh, beautiful man. Uh, and and it's, he, he, he died in a horrible way. And, and I got, you know, sometimes it, with grief, I think it can affect you in a different way. And I wrote this song, it was kind of like a, angry song in a way it's a sort of it's like an argument between two friends mm -hmm. and that's what contrasts the emotion of this beautiful chorus which uh, edge had got coming from the gospel tradition uh, if you want to we can do a little bit of it if you like
That was you two talking about their 10-syllable diamond stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. Check out the Golden Magic tab on the updated website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, to see The Edge and Bono playing the song on Letterman in 2011. So good. The song won a Grammy in 2002 and topped the charts in Canada and Ireland. The great Stone Temple Pilots singer Scott Whelan wrote his memoir in 2011 called Not Dead and Not For Sale and took the title from a line in the chorus of this great ten-syllable rocker. Here's Scott talking about drugs. Have you ever calculated how much money you've spent on drugs it's in your life? Not the, it's not the drugs uh, that cost the money. It's, um, it's the uh, rehabs. Yeah. You know, the, what do they charge for rehab? A uh, good rehab. At at the time when the economy was uh, really rolling, yeah, um, it got up to ninety thousand dollars a month. Jesus there. Christ! And Places. you would go away for five months. Um, what, that was the time that I kicked heroin. Right. Yeah. Did you ever get it so bad that you just said, "Hey, like Kurt Cobain, I just want to fucking end it all." Have you ever been at that point? I've been to that point before. And, you know, someone said to me, they said, uh, you know, um, it's because I, I had kids and I, it, was, it was when I was doing heroin still. And, uh, and I, uh, I felt like I just could not kick. And um, I was trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and and uh, and I was getting so depressed. Stone Temple Pilots tripping on a hole in a paper heart. So thus ends part one of my rabbit hole dig on seven syllable plus titled songs. I'm about three quarters through next week's part two. So hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. If you have any suggestions and if I like them and they have a story attached to them, I'll add them and give you a shout out. As always at the end of each podcast, I want to add a lesser known artist song that qualifies for the episode. And for part one, I'm going to use a song I love from a great album from Hillsville Sanctuary Ray's Dutch living, hawk following, grand final partnering, piano genius, singer-songwriter, Hugh Blaines, with a song off his quirkily amazing and very original album, Sad Songs Make Me Happy. Check out the Victims tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for a Spotify playlist of Hugh's stuff and hunt him down online. And I hope to see you back for part two next week. Hugh Blaine's with his 10 syllable to those who are finding it hard to sleep. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see ya.
To those who are finding it hard to sleep tonight Just listen to the sounds of peaceful dreaming Dream of tall ships sailing come seas Try to dream of you sleeping there The mountains you climb up a hard place your favorite song You're on top of the world To those who are finding it hard to Just listen to the sounds of peaceful dreaming